My name is Jesse. I'm a uh, deacon here and on staff uh, part-time, and my wife and I lead the Midtown Community Group. I also work part-time at Soma, the coffee shop. I say that every time just to give it a plug. Um, but it's cool to see a lot of new faces, and a lot of people are trickling back in. So this is a bittersweet time for me now as I'm a townie. I at least consider myself a townie. So I like the students, but the peace is leaving. So anyways, we have a little bit different makeup today in the gathering. We have a lot of kids with us. Uh, as Chris mentioned, we have had a little issue with the building this week. But um, I'm happy because I think it's cool how this works out, that they get to be in here, and I'm excited to preach to all these ages, and I like the text that we get to walk through. Um, the past few weeks, we've worked through some dense theological material. Uh, two weeks ago, we dealt mainly with the theme of God's sovereignty and the fact that he is ultimately in control over, over everything and is the one who initiates his relationship with us. And we wrestled through the fact that God is good and loving and is merciful to even save one of us. Then last week, we dove into the fact that within God's sovereignty, we have a real responsibility, right? A responsibility to respond to the news of Jesus Christ, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved, as we talked about. And we ended with verse 13, and it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This week, we're going to get practical. Um, Paul proceeds from verse 13 and demonstrates to us the absolute necessity of being on mission for Jesus and sharing the gospel. The good news that Jesus came to live the life that we cannot and died the death that we deserve, and he became our sin, and he covered, he covered our, our sins, our past, future, and present ones, and he rose again, and one day he's going to come back and make all the bad in this world go away forever and establish a new heavens and a new earth, and those who have called on his name will get to worship with him and live under his rule forever. So we're going to finish up chapter 10 today in Romans, and that's going to be chapter 10, verse 14 through 21, which is on page 946 of the uh, black Bibles in your row. Um, if you don't have a Bible, then out at the connection table, you can, you can grab one. We have some for you for free. So just after this, you can go get that. Um, so if you all stand with me as we read from God's Word. Romans ten fourteen, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will, make you a jealous, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for um, 
this beautiful day and some of the coolness we had this morning. Um, I thank you for bringing students back. Um, honestly, we're, we're really excited to have them um, ready for some more life in this town uh, as we move into the fall. Um, I thank you that we get to have the elementary kids with us today and just pray that uh, you would work in their hearts as well as everybody else here. And I just thank you so much for the opportunity to get to be in front of these people. And I pray that... Um, you to speak to them, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So, before we get into the text, I want to be clear about uh, the direction that um, that I'm going to go with in this passage. It's one of those passages that you could probably break down, like most of Romans, into a couple different sermons. We could preach probably on each each individual verse, but then we would take forever to get through it. So, I want to be clear and concise about some of the big themes of this passage. Um, So I'm going to move kind of like this. First, I'm going to talk about what the steps are for God's plan of saving people. And we're going to talk about two of them to start. And then I will move and talk about what we can learn from the unbelief of Israel in this passage. And then last, I hope to come full circle and talk about the necessity of preaching the gospel and being on mission for Jesus. So first, how do people call on the name of the Lord? What is God's plan to save Israel? people. Let's look back at verses 14 and 15. It's important to see the progression of Paul's questions here. He works backwards from people calling on the Lord. He asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Then how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Then how are they to hear without someone preaching? And last, how are they to preach unless they are sent? So if we take these questions in reverse order, we get the order of how someone comes to call on the Lord, right? First, a preacher must be sent. Then the sent preacher must preach. And the preacher must be heard. And then the hearer must believe. And then the belief must be that which calls on God for salvation. Send, preach, hear, believe, call. Then verse 17 clarifies what exactly we're supposed to preach about. Paul says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. He defines what we are preaching, right? He says that it is the word of Christ, so for us we can take that to mean the word about Christ. So they're sending to preach the good news about Jesus, hearing the gospel of Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then calling on him for salvation. So we're going to walk through these stages and and how they're important for us specifically in in our context here. So first, Paul distinguishes between calling and believing in verse 14. And I would venture to say he does this because he wants to distinguish some things specifically about the word believe. The word he is using for belief here is talking about belief in facts. He wants to make it known that there can be belief in facts and still not saving faith in Jesus. So if we we look at James 19, there's an example there. Um, James 2, 19, excuse me. And it says this, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's really clear that one can know facts about something and even believe the facts that, that they're true and still deny the truth, right? Here is another example, and I don't get often to talk about this because we have a lot of Yankees fans that take up the pulpit, but as a Cubs baseball fan, (laughs) sorry, sorry, 
I often get poked fun at, and it's, it's for a good reason, because we're really not good. But I know we have a lot of Cubs fans in here happy this year. But um, this year, the Cubs are objectively the best team in baseball. The numbers speak for themselves. Anyone can look and see the facts and the scores. But still, many people choose to deny that they're the best team. <laughs> it's laid out clear, and they see the results. But they still don't admit their superiority. But it's obvious that most metaphors and examples, they do not paint a complete picture for us. And this example is no different. Um, But what I'm getting at is people are presented facts, and they know who Jesus claims to be. And at the time of Jesus' life, he even tells us that there were demons there that knew exactly who he was, and they believed he was who he said he was, but they still rejected him, and they didn't submit to his lordship. The devil knows who God is too, but he doesn't submit. So it's possible to have the gospel laid out and understood and there be no positive response. Paul wants us to know that we have to have a changed heart. Believing in Christ does have an element of believing facts, absolutely, but it's more than that. We believe that Christ came and died and rose again, and we can rest in that. We can be confident in that, and we can know that ultimately, no matter what happens in this life, we rest secured if we submit to Christ's Lord, Lordship. Last week, in Romans 9.9, it sums up what saving faith is. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I like that Paul talks about calling on the Lord. He talks about belief, and then he builds on that by saying, it is that, but it is also, it's calling, right? We are justified by faith alone. If we confess and believe, we're justified. But the life that we are to have under Jesus is more than just justification. God has ordained that we express our faith over and over in our life. We're to call on him always. When times are bad, absolutely, but also when times are good, We miss the mark when we think that if we just pray a prayer, then we can be okay and go about our life however we choose. A life that has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, a life that has been softened to receive the news and live in obedience under Jesus should look different. That life should give evidence by faith of calling on Jesus. The God of the universe has made you clean and acceptable in his sight through Jesus Christ if you believe in him. And shouldn't that kind of excite us as we we go about life? Doesn't that give us confidence and boldness in him? The Bible is filled with examples of God just beckoning us to call on him. And how great it is that we have a God that we can do that, right? To cry out to him and praise him and thank him. So Paul shows us that genuine Christians call on Jesus once we believe in him and our hearts are changed by him. Now before I go to the other steps that lead to believing and calling, I want to take just a little time to examine the latter half of chapter 10 to remind us of God's sovereignty and our responsibility and um, what that means for us. So Paul lays out some potential disagreements Uh, with questions as to why some in Israel do not accept Christ as the Messiah. Verse 18 says this, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. 
For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. So this is quoting Psalm 19. Um, That's a psalm that is exclaiming the universal witness of the heavens to their creator. So it's specifically talking about the fact that nature points to a creator. Now Paul knows this and is probably not trying to say that the Jews have been revealed God through through creation. He's probably alluding to the fact that the ethnic Jews at this time had heard the gospel and cannot, plan, cannot blame their not believing on not hearing. The gospel has been preached in the places where the Jews were at this point in history. And then in verse 19 he says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you, a, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So Paul is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 32.21, and he's furthering the point that Jews are accountable because they do, in fact, understand what they heard, but they still don't believe. The Gentiles are the non-nation that they're talking about, and the jealousy comes from the grafting in of the Gentiles into God's people. Then verse 20 says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is from Isaiah 65.1. And it's interesting that it's here because it's almost as if Paul is refuting the question that is laid out by offering examples both from the law and the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament. He's giving another example of the fact that Gentiles have now been given the opportunity to be God's people. So why is this important at all to us? It's important... Why is it important to understand about Israel? Um, for chapters 9 and 10, they've mainly been dealing with the unbelief of Israel, Israel so it's important to, to not forget that's the context that we're dealing with here in Romans. Um, but it's important for us because it shows us again that God is sovereign. He fulfills his plan. He fulfilled it in Christ. He was sovereign to bring the plan to fruition and to make sure that the news is heard. But we have a very real responsibility to respond to the good news of Jesus. Like we talked about the last couple of weeks, Israel, the people of God, have heard the news of the Messiah and not everyone received it. God has shown himself to those who did not ask for it, the Gentiles, which is pretty much what we are, unless anyone here is an ethnic Jew. Most of us here are Gentiles. Um, But as it says in verse 21, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So God is holding out his hands. He holds these hands out to Jews, to Gentiles, to Bloomington, to the rest of Indiana in our country and to the world in all ages, all the elementary kids in here, to you and to all the ethnicities and peoples. God wants his name proclaimed everywhere and wants people to know him. But how is his name proclaimed? People are sent, and the sent preach the gospel, and they are heard. Then people believe and call on the Lord. So now we get to get a little more practical. Uh, Sometimes this tension of divine sovereignty and human responsibility um, can cause some real problems for us. We've been talking about it the last few weeks, and I just want to go over it again because I think it's important. My goal here is to not try to explain the mystery of how God is sovereign over all things and somehow we're still responsible to respond to him. My goal is for us to accept that mystery and just embrace the paradox. 
We can't choose either or, because it's sad if we only embrace God's sovereignty over the, over the human will and say that there is really nothing we can do, so let's just leave it up to God to do the work, and we can just trust in his sovereignty and do nothing. Or on the flip side, if we only emphasize human responsibility and we say that God is inviting us, but it's all on the human to determine his fate, we do all the work. In this sense, God is really not sovereign and can't control things. That group misses the mark in that they dismiss a beautiful truth about God, that he is in control, and I think that's just good to rest in. Look at our world. It's not a great place. It is a hurting place with a lot of suffering and a lot of trouble, and I believe it's comforting to know that God is in control of that and one day is going to make it okay. But then the other group rejects something that is crucial to understanding the way that God deals in in justice and mercy. There's a failure to see how we are to plead and persuade and walk with people and invite them to know Jesus because only in him can they find their true peace and comfort. And this is important to know. We have to be a people who both rest in the truths of God but still understand that we should be moved to act and be on mission. God is outstretching his arms, and he's doing it right here in Bloomington, and he's going to work that through us. So how does God reach these people? The last three parts here. He sends people to preach and be heard. These are the final three points in the progression of how, God's, how God is going to save people, right? Um, So first he sends them. Sometimes it's easy to see a divide in Christians. Um, Like there are some that do the talking and there's others that don't, right? But we are all called to be on mission. We're all sent in some way. Yes, there are some that are called to preach on Sunday morning and some that are missionaries and they go to people that have never heard the gospel and they preach. We are all called to go and make disciples. So don't say to yourself, well... I'm not one of those sent ones, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna be quiet. Rather pray, ask for guidance, and opportunities to speak the good news of Jesus to people, because I promise you, when you do that, it's gonna come. Say, send me to Bloomington, God. Send me to my classmates, to my coworkers, maybe even across this room. Right? There's people in here that need to hear from you. But back in the time of this letter, there were heralds that were sent to bring news, whether good or bad. Um, they didn't have social media or major news companies back then, thankfully, in ways. And they literally sent someone to go to the town square and to share some news. So the guy would hop on his horse and go to Bloomington. And I don't usually leave the pulpit, so this is weird. But he would... <laughs> So he would go, they would go to Bloomington and they would give the news and then he'd hop back on and he would go down to Bedford and say the same thing, right? Um, we're called as Christians to be heralds of the good news. Maybe not exactly like that, but to the people around us. So to some, it may be a more formal and a, voc- a vocational sending, but to the majority, it, everyone who claims Christ is sent to the more spontaneous sendings, right, in life. So I'm not saying we all need to go find that street corner and start heralding. That would probably not be effective. It might be. 
But we must develop relationships and also absolutely use words to proclaim Jesus. Actions and love are so important, but it is imperative to couple that with words. So we remember the next step to sending is preaching. Preaching means using words, right? We preach the gospel to others and also to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because we're really prone to forget it. Through preaching the gospel, people hear Christ speaking to them, and he changes their hearts to believe and call on him. The fact is, like I said, we live in a troubled world in need of redemption and a savior. It's a broken world and a hurting world that just needs good news. I love the latter half of verse 15 when it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I don't know about you, but to me, feet are not beautiful. My feet, to be quite honest, are kind of gross. I, that's why they're covered. I have, I, have a, I have runner's toe, which just means that your, your nail always falls off, which is disgusting. And um, I try to wear my sandals up here, but I'm sparing you all the view, and I've also been told I'm not allowed, unfortunately. Uh, but we try to pretty our feet up with pedicures and keeping the calluses off of them and The truth is, is we walk on those feet, and they get beat up, and they stink, and I think within this verse, there is a big observation to make here about beauty, that it's absolutely not physical, right? True beauty is not physical. We live in a hard culture that puts a lot of emphasis on outward appearance. There is so much money and effort being put into appearing beautiful, both for men and especially for women. And, and we have to remind ourselves here as Christians like the, that the true beauty is inward. It's, true beauty is a heart that seeks to glorify God in all things and to worship him and be a good news bringer, right? A Jesus worshiper, a person who loves like Christ has loved them. So true beauty is found in the worn out the beat up and the leathery, sweaty feet that have been working to go to the places that are remote and without hope to bring good news that Christ has come and hope is alive. So how much better it would be to get to the end of our lives physically worn out from going and working to bring the news of Jesus to others as opposed to making decisions to just be comfortable, kind of pad our bank accounts and do only what we want to do. We absolutely can have fun and relax, right? There is a time and a place for that. I love to relax more than anyone, honestly. I wish I... No, I'm not going to say I wish I was sleeping. I don't wish that. But given many mornings, I do just want to sleep, right? I just want to chill. What I'm talking about is that we have to have an ever-present intentionality to be on mission for Jesus. That's what that means. So... I love to hear stories of older people who still are on fire for Jesus and doing crazy things uh, to further God's kingdom. My grandma, Mary, is one of those people, uh, and she would be so embarrassed to hear me saying this. So thankfully, she's actually not here, but I have no doubt she would humbly take the compliments uh, that I'm going to give her. So she is an old lady who was born and raised in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. 
And for as long as I can remember, and far before that, I'm sure, she has had a heart for Jesus and takes seriously her purpose here on earth. She has long been involved in urban ministry, and for years she has been working up on the Near East Side of India at a church, and she's run their library, does these food drives and these toy drives for all the kids in the neighborhood. Um, and if you don't know much about Indy, the Near East side is, is the rough side. Um, it's, it's a hard part of town to be in. There's a lot of drugs and addiction and violence and just a lot of brokenness. Um, it's not a popular, popular place to go plant a church. It's really not. If we ever think that we're under-resourced here, we are... N- it's nothing in comparison to that. So my grandma, remember, she was raised in the middle of nowhere and uh, has chosen to follow Christ's lead into that place. And about 10 years ago, my grandpa died. And at that point in, in her life, my grandma had tons of justification for changing some things in her lifestyle, right? Maybe taking it easy. And I would not have even blamed her for easing off of the ministry that she was doing. But she did actually the opposite and I wish I could be even close as she is in her walk with Jesus right now. Um, she is even, it's harder than ever to get a hold of her, which is funny because she's just more active than I've ever known. I, I literally once called her and said, hey, Grandma, I haven't seen you for a while, and I would like to come up and have lunch with you this week. I'm going to be in town. And she just goes, well, let me check my calendar here. She gets back on the phone and she goes, it's a pretty busy week. I'm not going to be able to swing it. <laughs> and I'm like, Grandma, I, I'm a nev- I might never see you again. I don't, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> she still is helping out in the same church, right? She's still running around with her friends, causing all sorts of noise for Jesus. Now she has some worn out, and small and frail feet. But they are, without a doubt, some of the most beautiful feet I have ever seen. And no doubt, they have allowed her to be sent to preach the good news of Jesus, and where that happened, people hurt. And where they heard, they believed, and in that belief, they called on Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. So we have a radical message to bring the world And that requires us to lean in on Christ and trust him and ask him to send us to those who need to hear. God has ordained that to spread the church, his people go and share that the only place they can have ultimate satisfaction and ultimate joy and ultimate peace is in Jesus. Right? I'm not saying that God can't reveal himself to people, but the way he has laid it out in the New Testament is that we go, and that's how he builds his church. So all the things that people strive after are nothing compared to the riches we have in Jesus. He came to live the life we couldn't, died the death that we deserve, and he was raised on the third day, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he's coming back, and he's going to make all things new, and those who have called on him will live with him forever in joy. So if you're here today and you don't know him, I plead with you to believe in him, to call on him, because he wants you. And only in him will you find that true joy. So we're going to move now 
into a time of communion. Um, this is a time where we respond and we remember that Christ, what Christ did for us on the cross, how he shed his blood and his body was broken for us. Here at Redeemer, we, uh, we take a piece of bread and we dip it into the cup, and there's both juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine is on the one marked with the twine. Um, hopefully you can see it so it doesn't surprise you. Um, if you don't know Christ, and this is a time for you to respond and uh, to accept him, there will be pastors in the back. Um, and if you want someone to pray with or talk with, um, they'd be more than happy to do that. Um, yeah, so let's pray. Father God, I thank you again uh, for this day. Um, just how great it is to gather once a week as your people um, to be built up and encouraged so we can be sent out uh, to be on mission for you. And I just pray that this week you would do a great work in all of our hearts here. Stir us up to go move and bring your news and your love to the people um, in this city and beyond it if, uh, if, as people go wherever they're going. Um, and I just ask that uh, you make a monstrous impact uh, through us for your glory um, this week as we go from here. And I just, uh, I love everyone who's in here, and I thank you that we get to, uh, to gather and worship you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.